Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin! Hello and welcome to episode 2 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. We're coming to you from mostly sunny suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a great episode for you. I hope it's a great episode. Uh, going straight to the heart of it. The Passion and Resurrection of Anakin Skywalker. Uh, before we get into that, I'd like to do a few housekeeping notices. Um, I'm going to be staying on SoundCloud for now. There was some question about whether I was going to go to a different place that would let me uh, upload to iTunes and whatnot. I'm going to stick with SoundCloud for now because the free account means uh, you know I can fit more episodes in for now. It does mean I'll have to archive some episodes when that limited time limit is reached, uh, but I'll have a list of episodes available and I'll definitely have them on my computer for if in case you want a back issue, back episode, uh, let me know and I will uh, send you the MP3. Uh, another bit, uh, bit of housekeeping, I'm going to try a format for the episodes, uh, you know, maybe a brief comment on the news of the week surrounding Star Wars uh, just before getting into the topic. Uh, it'll be still be a brief comment on the news and uh, yeah, and then get into what I hope is the meat of what I'd like to say. So first, the news uh, maybe a bit late to the game in terms of the voicing this, but I I tweeted out if you if you've been following the whole thing with the Han Solo film, uh, first the Lord Miller <coughs> firing, <coughs> sorry, and then news about. Alden Ehrenreich needing a, a voice actor, a voice coach rather, or an acting coach. Um, these things that keep piling up. Who knows what the what the, what's really going on? But um, for now, and, and of course, the Ron Howard taking over directing duties, uh, but most likely with Lawrence Kasdan and Kathleen Kennedy being uh, largely in charge. I think we can say that, although. I can see Ron Howard taking taking charge over the the day to day, calming things down, as as especially people on Collider have said in other places. Uh, I did tweet out three thoughts uh, the day of, and uh, basically, I I trust Kennedy and Kasdan with this. I I do think it was the right move. I understand, you know. Uh, John Roca on Collider saying, you know, it's a breakup. We don't need to worry about who to blame. But at the end of the day, who's what's what's the the best move to make this film? Uh, you know, can, can, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, in a large way, created Han Solo. I think people have been commenting on that too. Yeah, George Lucas really birthed him. But the the Solo we see in Empire Strikes Back, written of course by Lawrence Kasdan, the Solo we see in Return of the Jedi. And of course, in the Force Awakens, all written and and guided by Larry Kasdan, and so he was already the right person to write the script with his son. And so, you know, I, I for that reason, I'm already inclined to trust that the direction that Lord and Miller were going in with this kind of comedic uh, improvisation—not just comedic, but making a comedy. Uh, there was a worry it would be actually just a parody of Star Wars instead of Star Wars itself. And uh, I, I appreciate that Larry Kasdan wants to stick with his own script and his own vision. And I applaud Kathleen Kennedy for upholding that. Even he, word that 
Alden Ehrenreich came to the people the people in charge and said, Hold on, this isn't what the script said. Should we look at the dailies? Uh, and so and, and even uh the acting the news about the, the acting coach, I'm wondering if that's just because they didn't get the performance because Lord and Miller kept saying, Improvise this, improvise that and not just to Ehrenreich, but probably to uh Danny Glover and to to uh the rest of the cast and um Star Wars is always being playful and comedic, but at its heart, it's a serious story and want to do good to what Larry Kazan's vision was. Um, because of all this, so that was my first thought. My second thought, because of all all this all this trouble, uh, look, I, and, and and you know, with with Han Solo being being quote unquote in trouble, maybe it isn't. Uh, Rogue One had all the reshoots. What do the two have in common? They're the standalones. And the way I see this is just growing pains. They knew they wanted to go in different directions with these standalone films. Uh, they knew that the saga had to be in line more clearly. But So they already kind of knew what to do, especially with the prequels. They knew George Lucas. He called the shots. Um, these standalones, they... They just don't quite know how to get that balance yet. I mean, these are people who are still working things out. And so I'm inclined to, uh, to again, trust them, give them some slack um, and whatnot. Finally, there's the question of the release date. Uh, I'd be surprised if they stuck with, with the, the May release date. Um I, I actually, frankly, don't want them to. I want them to take the time. Uh, I know it's going it to cost more money and money that could probably be spent better elsewhere, but you know, take the time, let Ron Howard and Kazan and Kennedy do their thing to make this a good movie. They already basically have the December slot anyways. So, uh, you know, in December... That's, that's Star Wars month now. I, don't, I was surprised, frankly, that they went back to May in the first place. So, so th those are my thoughts. Uh, Kazan created Solo, Sandalones, Growing Pains, and you know, take as much time as they need on reshoots. So, those are my thoughts. If you if you want to weigh in on that, uh, comment, uh, send, me, send me a line. I'll post my social media information at the end. Um, but now let's get to the meat of this, uh, the passion and resurrection of Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. Um, and I wanted to start with the most difficult parallel people I, I've said in the first episode that, you know, Anakin is this icon of Christ and people say, but how could that be? How could it be when he succumbs to becoming Darth Vader? And even in the, the prequels in, in episode two, he's this moody, uh, angsty teenager who kills a bunch of Tuscans, and uh, we know as as Darth Vader, he is basically the pit bull for the Emperor, and uh, take has a, a heavy hand in oppressing people, and is this deeply anguished character. Um, again, it's not an exact parallel. I would say it's an icon. There are resonances that allow us to see through the figure. To the godly person behind resonances. I don't even know 
not even making the claim that necessarily George Lucas said, I'm going to make it, set this up as a parallel, but it is plausible that there are inspirations taken from this. More to the point, this is how I see Anakin Skywalker embodying Christ in his passion and resurrection. And, um, you know, Mike Klimo, who has an awesome Instagram account, by the way, you should really check it out. And he's rightly pointed out that that Luke's self-sacrifice, that Luke's self-sacrifice, uh, throwing away his lightsaber, and that does save Anakin. And we can see that in in the pivotal scene at the end of Return of the Jedi, which I'll I'll get to later. Um, yeah, that inspires Vader to turn back to the light side. Um, Dave Filoni, for example, who, who created or, or embodied Ahsoka Tano, created her and developed her, said even she couldn't save Anakin the way Luke did um, because of that family bond. So yes, Luke's self-sacrifice is saving for, for Anakin and ultimately the galaxy. What about Anakin's own sacrifice and suffering? By the end of episode three, he feels alone. By the end of episode three, he feels despised and rejected. He feels betrayed by all whom he trusted. He is suffering. I mean, I don't think anyone can deny that. Um, whether or not he's chosen it, he feels despised, rejected, and betrayed. Uh, does that sound familiar? Padme, he's betrayed by Padme, who at least he feels betrayed by Padme who has turned to Obi-Wan for help. He's betrayed by by Obi-Wan and the whole Jedi Order uh, who wants to stop him. He's betrayed even by Ahsoka's own absence. And if you've seen the end of the if you haven't seen the end of the Clone Wars, I won't spoil it for you, but all I'll say is this isn't a retcon. The absence of Ahsoka Tano in episode three is significant for Anakin Skywalker's story was despised, rejected, betrayed by everyone he trusted. In his view, he's the only faithful remnant of a corrupt institution claiming to guide the people, but they're really out for their own needs. He knows they scapegoat. He knows they've turned to violence. And this is the screw that Palpatine Darth Sidious finally turns. He knows that they withhold knowledge that can help people. For example, healing Padme. They withhold that knowledge because it goes against their elitist, tightly controlled orthodoxy. Again, does that sound familiar? See the Sadducees and Pharisees going their way and, and claiming to be faithful with mixed success. And of course, Christ stands and looks, looks the, the rest of the people with compassion, like a sheep without a shepherd. Anakin, we don't know how much compassion he necessarily has. But at least he's the one who's faithful to, at least in his own mind, faithful to upholding the peace and security of the galaxy. I don't even think he even think Palpatine can do it. But he sees at least that there's one person who's willing to trust him. One person to, willing to, to support him and... and bring peace and justice to the galaxy, at least according to his point of view. We know that it's deeply wrong. 
And so how is this salvific? He's despised, he's rejected, he's burned and, and has to wear this horribly violent suit. How does his suffering save the galaxy? Well, remember, Anakin has a cosmic destiny, and Star Wars, unlike Star Trek, it makes Star Wars makes these claims that these individual characters have this effect on the galaxy as a whole. Certain people, certain characters, uh, including Qui Gon, maybe even Yoda, certainly Obi Wan, ultimately, of course, Luke and Anakin. There's the question of the chosen one, and I'll get to that in a bit. Um, the the effect the 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 result of of Anakin being burned and uh, in the midst of this galactic conflict he's the final the ultimate victim of the Clone Wars in a in a large way he takes on the sin of the galaxy and in the face of Darth Vader in the mask in the burns and the armor Anakin becomes that sin of the galaxy. He takes on that sin for everyone. Again, this is just an icon. It's a figure. But what a figure. He takes on this violence and depression and angst and thirst for power. He embodies it in the way that Christ became sin for us. Again, just a figure. Christ, of course, does not sin does not give in, but he still is bloodied and bruised and that sign of all rejection and violence on the cross. And Christ's passion is only a matter of hours. Anakin's internal suffering in the suit as a Sith and a pit bull for the Emperor, that's a matter of decades. Just think of it. He's you know, carrying this weight of the galaxy, carrying this remorse for his inability to save Padme waiting for this opportunity sure to overthrow the Emperor because that's what Sith do but also this incredible distrust for the Jedi and ultimately as we see even in the comics for example incredible distrust for Darth Sidious because as we know the Sith way is to Pretend you're going to be this caring father figure. You take on this apprentice to this apprentice. You take on the apprentice, and you ultimately every day is an act of betrayal. Every day, Anakin is crushed by the Darth Vader that has accepted his fate as simply the Sith apprentice. But again, I ask. How does this ultimately save the galaxy? Yeah, we see Eche Homo, behold the man. We see that gruesome, bloody violence. And yet, in some way, that's expiatory. That's you know, the, you know, taking the, the whole scapegoat theory that takes on, embodies that. Um, he isn't exactly a public figure, but. He's that figure to us. But there's more. There's another piece to this that really ties everything together and ties the whole saga together, I'd say. He's in the right place at the right time.
See, we know, I know again that the meaning of the chosen one and balance of the force and will of the force, that's debated. But we do know this, that the return of the Jedi, the resurrection of Anakin Skywalker, it occurs at the exact place and time that allows him to defeat that thousand-year scourge of the Sith, that thousand-year phantom menace. It's in the exact place and time to bring the Empire to its knees and to enable the light side to restore its place and the Force to restore balance. I've always thought, even growing up, that the most poignant moment, I mentioned it before, most poignant moment of the original trilogy well, it was the camera's own fixation. It was the, the, the moment itself. That fixation on Vader's silent gaze right, where Sidious is, is electrocuting Luke and that's where all the action is but the camera still stops and takes this mo these moments to look into Vader's eyes, into Vader's soul. Those moments that depict the death and resurrection of Anakin Skywalker. Right? Because he's still got the mask. He's still bound in chains of death. But then the resurrection of Anakin Skywalker. Without, here's the thing. Without a hint of exposition. That moment makes everything that happens after and before make sense. You see, by becoming Darth Vader, by taking on the sin of the galaxy, Anakin finds himself at the exact right place to heave, heave up Darth Sidious, throw him over the ledge, and save the galaxy. He can only do that if he was at the Emperor's side. That's, that's the paradox of this. That's the mystery of this. No one else was, could possibly be in the right place at the right time. If Luke like we said, if Luke had actually tried to defeat the Emperor with his lightsaber to just strike him down, Sidious is right. He would become more powerful as a Sith. He would take over as a Sith because that's the Sith way. That's the way of the dark side. It leads to hate. It leads to anger. It leads to suffering. But with Anakin, it isn't about suffering. He's looking down from his place, from his cross, looking down at Luke and says, I have to save him and I have to save the galaxy. And in that moment, that moment he, he saves the galaxy by destroying the Sith. See, that I've always understood that as Anakin's destiny, as the Chosen One. Even when episode one came out, I said, how could it be, what does that mean? What does that look like? I always thought instinctively, oh, he defeats the Sith to bring balance to the Force. Because it gives the entire saga this coherence. At least we'll see even what happens with The Last Jedi. He gives the entire saga this coherence and that same type of coherence that the resurrection of Christ gives to his crucifixion and death. And even to his mission on Earth. And even to the whole history of Israel beforehand. He became death. Dying, he destroyed our death. The undoing of death by death. So to conclude, if you'll permit me, a bit of a Star Wars interjection of Isaiah 53. 
He was despised and rejected. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Yet it was the will of the Lord, or the will of the force, to crush him. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord, the will or the plan of the force, shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, the chosen one, make many accounted righteous. I like to call Star Wars my second religion. I hope you can see how, even at its most distant, it pertains to that all-encompassing reach of the crucified Christ. For Christ's sake, Anakin, indeed. This has been episode two of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. You can reach me at uh, on Twitter at NUG485 and on Instagram at MNUG1138. And I believe you can also make comments here on SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.